cage around my team. Yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up. Welcome to Podski Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Wow, we got a heck of a show for everyone today. We got rumors galore to get into. We're going to talk about the official list of Ticats pending free agents and to freak out everyone who is listening to the show, the vast majority of which are Ticat fans. There are a lot of them. So uh, freak out at your own leisure there. But we have to start with what was, and I know we're a little late on this. We're recording this over a week later but we got to talk about that gray cup game mike last sunday i guess two sundays for, uh, ago the improbable happened the montreal alouettes defeated the winnipeg blue bombers in the 110th gray cup in hamilton 28 to 24 this game kind of had it all the bombers had a 10 point lead at halftime after two goal line stops just before the mid-game break the owls then came storming out of the locker room they scored a touchdown two minutes into the third quarter and then Kind of slowed a little bit, but the fourth quarter comes and fireworks factory, my, my man. Three lead changes in the fourth quarter capped off with an incredible throw from Cody Fajardo to Tyson Philpott with about 15 seconds left to give the Alouettes their first championship since 2010. Maybe the most one of the most improbable Grey Cups we've seen in the last decade. I thought it was an excellent game. What did you think, Mike? How did you enjoy this Grey Cup? It, it was, I, I hesitate to say the greatest, but it's pretty, it's pretty good. It was a pretty good game, was it not? Yeah, you know, there's there's a couple Grey Cups that come to mind when I think, you know, ultimate entertaining, um, ultimate entertainment. Uh, I think the 2016 Grey Cup between Calgary and Ottawa was a really yep. good game. I think it was 2016. There was, there was. was there's a couple ones that I, I, I'm not remembering right now, but this one is definitely up there. It, it, I wouldn't maybe, I wouldn't say it was the greatest Grey Cup game of all time, but it was definitely like top three for me in my lifetime. Now you can go back, obviously the 1989 Grey Cup is one of the the Number greatest one. football games ever played. Um, I wasn't old enough to enjoy that one live. I, I, I have gone back and watched it. Absolutely fantastic game. But to watch this one live, I thought there was a big difference between you know, last year's Grey Cup and this year's Grey Cup. This year's Grey Cup was entertaining from the very beginning, I thought. And uh, it was just, it just always makes me happy when the last, when the last game of the year, the last CFL game of the year is an entertaining one. And, you know, you have those big ratings and everything. So I was, I was very pleased with this year's Grey Cup. I like that you said, as opposed to last year, because last year's game was a great, like, final five minutes. Yep. I think it, it that game it was it was a close game and it was a back and forth game but I think that that really hit it was the Calaris interception with like five minutes left in the game where that game then that game went full because there was like two blocked field goals and 
that game just went into overdrive with 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 its nuttiness. This one, like you said, was kind of there was slow parts. There's always slow parts to a football game. No no game's gonna go back and forth. Score score score. Yeah, I mean there was that BC Hamilton game earlier this year that was there were no punts after like eight minutes left in the first quarter. But mm-hmm. for the most part, you're not going to get that. But I'm with you. Like the, the idea that the last game of the year, that fourth quarter, it's like a good movie, right? Like you want a really good opening, a really good ending. And it's in the middle, if it's, it's okay, but it's what they leave you with. They hook you early, which I think this game did. Yeah, it was a little slow, but both offenses got kind of got going. There were some big defensive plays early. And then the ending where you just, you had the the bombers drive the field and score and you kind of think oh well this is it you got Montreal gets into what was it second and 18 second and 20 mm-hmm. Fajardo scrambles picks up about 15 yards and then one of the gutsiest plays I've ever seen yes. called and kudos to Anthony Calvillo and Jason Moss for having the nuts to do it going deep on third and five and mm-hmm. hitting it and then the, the throw, like, I've been as big a Fajardo critic as maybe there is out there. And that throw to Philpott for the winning score was phenomenal. It's one of the best throws I think he's ever made in his career. It's also funny that a guy who was knocked as not being a great deep ball thrower throws one of the most important deep balls of his entire career and hits it. It was just, it had that entertainment value. I think the last three Grey Cups, we go back to the 2021, the overtime game between Hamilton and Winnipeg. Last yep. year's with Winnipeg and Toronto, and then this year's with Winnipeg and Montreal. The Winnipeg-Hamilton one from 2019 wasn't great. The 2018 game that we went to I don't think was great. 2016, 2017 were pretty good with the, with the Stamps and Red Blacks and the Stamps and the Argos. But we've had, I think, three tremendous Grey Cups. Maybe the 2022 one wasn't as good as the you know the ending had it. But it, again, like I said, it's kind of how they leave you. I thought we've had some great Grey Cup games. I agree with you. It's great that that last game of the year leaves you with that nice taste in your mouth. It's hard to say where it ranks all time because I just think that we're such slaves to the moment when it comes to this stuff. That 2016 game, I remember everyone saying as soon as that happened, goes to overtime and Ottawa wins and the underdog story and all that. And everyone's like, this is the greatest game of all time. I remember 89. 89 was the first great cup I remember watching. 89 is kind of not what turned me into a Ticats fan because I lived in Hamilton, but it was – that was the game where I was like, oh, we get to the championship game? Oh, why would I not be a fan of this team? Not realizing all the heartbreak and anger that that sure. would bring me years later. It's like, oh, no, this team is often terrible versus championship quality. So it's like they really got my hopes up in 89 there. But it's definitely up there. I, I've i now attended. This was my fourth Grey Cup that I've attended in person, 2012, 2018, 21, and uh, 2023 had had we won in 21 that would obviously be the one that would be the best I think objectively it was probably the better of the two but this one sitting in the crowd there were a lot of Montreal fans around us they got kind of got us into it my friend's kid came to the game unexpectedly he's decided he was going to cheer for the Alouettes he was so he was excited when, when you're around children and, at, and stuff like this like it kind of like they're they're just so enthusiastic that it kind of ratches us up your excitement for it and the and it, it had a classic ending and i think when you like i said you leave them with that type of ending it's hard to really knock the game it was just fun it was it was great i i enjoyed myself i went into the game i, I was glad it wasn't toronto and winnipeg i thought that would probably be the better game because they're evenly matched but this game ended up being all that and then some. Just a, a, a an excellent, again, maybe not the greatest of all time, but a damn good Grey Cup. 
Yeah, what what a story the Montreal Alouettes are. I know it's been talked about, you know, at nauseum at this point, but <clears throat> no one gave them a chance in in the offseason. Nope. I mean, why would you? Why you know what? You, you know what it is? We, and we hear all the time about teams like no one believed in us. No one believed in us. No one believed in them. No one believed in them going into this game. No. Quite frankly, no. like I didn't. If there's any team ever that's used the because we every team like I was uh, I was interviewing Rashid Bailey during the week because I did a bunch of media stuff for Grey Cup and. In talking to him, he actually said that both teams were underdogs. And, like, I, w- I didn't want to be rude and be like, are you out of your mind? Winnipeg's not wasn't the underdog in this. Like, Montreal was no. the significant underdog. Nobody gave them a chance. They 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 threw it all in our faces, and and deservedly so. Like, we all have to eat crow doubting this team. But if there was ever a team that, that deserved the no-one-believed-in-us moniker, it was this year's Alouettes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, they lost some of their best players in the offseason because they couldn't sign them. You know, they, they brought in Fajardo and Moss. It was kind of like, okay, this this is all that's left on the market, <laughs> right? And um, I didn't think it worked because Moss and Fajardo were in Saskatchewan last, last year. Moss was the OC. Fajardo was the starting quarterback. And they had all sorts of problems. But And then there's the Danny Machocha thing where he's been Everyone kind of thinks a he's a doofus bag. that doesn't know what he's doing. Yes, for years and years and years. And obviously he does. I think he's had a really good plan. He put together a team while being handcuffed. You know, all the French players brought in. I think that's a brilliant strategy. This team, um, Quebec and Montreal are going to get behind this team big time uh, because of all those Quebec players. That rant that the one player went on after the game, I think is huge for that market. They're going to want to pack the stadium next year for this team. And, uh, you know, a large part of it has to be given to Danny Machocha for doing all the hard work. Yeah, and Montreal supports winners when the alouettes were winning with calvio they upgraded the stadium at mcgill and added seats because they couldn't keep tickets in stock and then they hit the hard times as every team does because you never stay on top forever and i don't know if this is a sustainable they're they're going to be the new juggernaut now or if this is a one-year thing it doesn't matter i think you can use this goodwill now Mm -hmm. to because you got like what we forget is the Owls have played, and I know that there's issues with Olympic Stadium, but when the Owls were coming off back-to-back Grey Cups and hosting the East semifinal in 2011 against the Hamilton Tiger Cats, there was 50,000 people at Olympic Stadium to watch the East semifinal. Now the Alouettes didn't sell as many tickets to the East semi this year, and again, differing climates were over a decade later. But when that team was humming and they were winning. All the time. The fans turned out. And I think they will again. Now, whether this is a one-year blip or whether this team is now I mean, I don't I don't think it's a maybe as championship team, it's a one-year blip because it's hard to win multiple championships. Every team, I mean, the, the bombers were the first team to win back to back cups since the Owls, and the Owls were the first one to do it since the Argos in the 90s. So teams winning multiple championships is not easy. Ask the Calgary Stampeders how easy it is to win back-to-back titles. They've never done it in their franchise's history. So People will show up. I think this team is still going to be pretty good. They've been pretty good now for three, uh, maybe, I guess they started making the playoffs in 2019, and they've made them every year since. And they've hosted playoff game three out of those four years. Now they get to the Grey Cup and win it. I think this is a sustainably built franchise. They have an owner, a French-Canadian owner, who wants to pour money into them. And they made those moves once they had an ownership situation settled because i think that was a big part of it as well like the reason they couldn't bring back Gino lewis and trevor harris mm-hmm. because they didn't have an owner 
they get an ownership. They make some shrewd moves. They bring in Sean Lemon. They bring in Darnell Sankey. And those guys made big plays in the playoffs down the stretch. To like, what did these guys win? Nine in a row to end the season. Eight in a row to end the season. Like, yeah. And I he called it too, which is like I was did. rolling my eyes at him. Darnell or Sankey said we're not going to lose another game, and they didn't. And like and when didn't. you said that, yep. I was like, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, yeah, you got to yep. give it to them. I mean, Cody Vajardo talked a big game too. I laughed at him. I called him a bozo. You know, um, giving uh, ammunition to the Toronto, the sixteen and two Toronto Argonauts before they played them. You know, all the stuff where I was making fun of them, and they they proved me wrong. Yeah, and that's the fun thing about sports, though. Like, I. I don't ever get my nose bent out of shape when I make a prediction and it ends up being wrong because you don't know what's going to happen. You just, you can use the data at your disposal. You can think, you know, what's going to happen and then it all gets thrown for a loop. But that's the fun thing about this game. That's the fun thing about watching sports in general is it's, it's the ultimate reality show because unlike those things that are scripted, there's no script here. I know that that's the joke. Oh, you know, pro sports are scripted. Ha ha ha. They make that. There's an NFL commercial about, joking about scripting the season because I think it was Arian Foster made the joke about things being scripted. Now everyone's kind of taking it over, but there's no script here. It's, it's the ultimate reality game and anything can happen. And that's what we saw on Sunday. Just a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on it because we're, everyone's kind of, I think been gray cupped out, but this is the first chance we've had a chance to talk about it together. Does this at all change your perception of Cody Fajardo as a quarterback? Like now he's won a Grey Cup. He's the Grey Cup MVP. And unlike sometimes we see Grey Cup MVPs, like Bo Levi Mitchell won a Grey Cup MVP one time when he had more interceptions and touchdowns. Fajardo was excellent in this game. Like he he stepped up and played big in a big moment. Does this kind of change your viewpoint on him? Is he now someone that you look at as an upper echelon quarterback in the CFL? At this point in time, Yes. Because he showed us that he can do it in these big games. And like you mentioned, he had a tremendous game in the Grey Cup. Um, maybe leading up to that in the playoffs, he didn't light the world on fire. But I, on fire, but I feel like the Grey Cup was his best game during this playoff run. And I think you have to give it to them. Like, I've always been a fan of Jason Moss. And I know you've thought that he's a better coach than the, what's perceived out there yep. in the CFL world. <clears throat> and... Uh, but yeah, I think you got to think of Cody Fajardo as one of the the top quarterbacks at this point in time. Now, it, are they is this sustainable? Are they going to go into next season and be, you know, a dominant force in the East Division? I don't know because we've seen runs like this before and then the team falls off the map in the next season. So I'm going to I'm going to pause on anointing them, you know, the beast of the East um in the future. But as of right now, I think you have to give the respect to Cody Fajardo and consider him, you know, one of the best quarterbacks in this league. I think what I'm willing to the the place I'm willing to land is in a big game. I think he he has now proven that he can come through. I don't think you look at his his resume, like even this season, I think he threw barely more touchdowns than interceptions. Like I think it was something like yeah. 14 TD passes to 12 picks. And like I think there's still some flaws in his game, but in the biggest game of his career. He came up big. He had a couple of big playoff games when he was with the Riders. Like he's he's played in some some big moments. So I think maybe I again, I still think that there's some flaws to his game, but when it comes to these big moments, I think that he's up to handling it. So I might ease off on the Fajardo slander just a wee bit. But next year if he goes into the season and starts starts shit in the bed again, I think we, we might come back yeah. to it. But as of right now, 
He's he's proven all the critics wrong, including myself. You mentioned Jason Moss. Has, you, has your perception of Jason Moss? You you talked about how both you and I were kind of higher on him than maybe the consensus was, and I do agree with that. I think you and I both had him ranked pretty high. We did preseason coaching rankings. I think we had him ranked higher than maybe most people considered he should be. But I saw what he did. Now, I and I was I I talked to. Uh, a player from the Edmonton Elks who was in Edmonton in Jason Moss's first season. And I said to his face uh, during Grey Cup, and I wasn't trying to be disrespectful, but I was like, look at what Moss has accomplished and look what you guys accomplished when Moss was there. Would you guys not kill to have him there? Like, and this was no slight. To, and, and the player said, I'm not going to name him, but he said, it's no slight to Chris Jones, but we would take that success in a heartbeat in Edmonton. He was a good head coach in Edmonton. The sideline stuff is what people kind of remember about him, right? Like, throwing the Gatorade jug and flipping out and all that other sorts of stuff. But this man can coach football. He's been a very good offensive coordinator, was the offensive coordinator in Ottawa when they got to a Grey Cup. He took Edmonton to three division finals in four years. He won a, as a quarterback's coach in his first year coaching with the Argos in 2012. And now he's a Grey Cup champion as a head coach. We saw the sideline antics kind of dissipate, but one of those things is you can get away with that stuff when you're winning football games, when you're winning championships. Look at a guy like Bill Belichick. His his shtick is not working right now when the Patriots are terrible. But when they were winning Super Bowls, no one gave a crap. With Jason Moss, I think that all that extra stuff that people just – the jokes because we live in a social media world. It's like, oh, who can be the funniest about making fun of Jason Moss? That's – it took hold. Mm-hmm. He's a damn good football coach. And yep. I think this was almost not redemption for him, but I think this – much like with Fajardo kind of silences a lot of people who maybe wanted to hold those antics as this is what represents him versus that he can coach bloody football and he can do it really well. So has your perception of Jason Moss changed? Do you now hold him in a little bit more higher regard or because you were kind of already on that plane, you're just, it just just solidified your opinion of him. No, I think I, I, I hold him up a little higher now because I, I have a lot of respect for someone who can self-reflect and, you know, look at themselves and be like, I need to improve in these. And I think that he improved with the sideline etiquette this season. He knew that he couldn't have those crazy outbursts anymore. And he improved there. And the same thing with Fajardo. Fajardo, early on in the season, he was getting sacked a shit ton. And he was doing those little twirly do's out of the out of the pocket, even when it wasn't necessary, even when there wasn't pressure on him. And I feel like he got he got better during the season. And maybe that was the case of Moss and Fajardo working together on it. But I just have respect for both of those guys because they looked within, they looked at the problems within, and they improved themselves. And you know, the, a championship was what they uh, what they received because of that. So. I, I hold Moss in a little bit higher standard than I and I did before, even though I had respect for him. I just think that it was a tremendous thing for him to, you know, kind of calm down a little bit on the sidelines. Is there any part of you that chuckles at the fact that the two guys most responsible for this victory, this Grey Cup championship, were cast aside by the riders as the problem and the riders? Like, I know it's mm-hmm. he's fun to pile on the riders and everyone hates the riders, but there's there has to be some sort of not pleasure, but just kind of like, hey, everyone makes like because we hear all the times as Ticat fans like, oh, this guy's gonna come back and haunt us and yada yada. I mean, this doesn't get much worse than your offensive coordinator no. and quarterback who didn't work in your system in your in your town, literally leaving, going to the same place a year later. <laughs> it's got to burn. No, 
Oh, it's got to burn huge, and it's got to feel great for Moss and Fajardo to yeah. to, be able, to be able to stick it to them and be like, see, you know, we were the scapegoats, and maybe they were part of the problem. I'm sure they were, but you know, the same exact thing happened to the riders that happened the previous season where they went 0-7 after Labor Day. So obviously, there's a lot more issues than just those two guys. All right, so flipping over to the losing side for a second here, does this second straight loss in the Grey Cup change your opinion of this Winnipeg run here? Four straight Grey Cups, two wins, two losses. I think the dynasty talk is dead, um, quite frankly. Like, I mean, if they get back next year and win, okay, maybe we can revive it. But does uh, is are you now looking at this team as maybe did they, did they leave some meat on the bone here with these last two losses, like? They lose so in such epic collapse. Like they had a 10 point lead in this game and lost. They were leading in the game against the Argos and lost. Like, yes, it's a few. I mean, and they got lucky to beat the Ticats. Like there's a, there's a scenario here where this team's lost three in a row. Now they haven't, they won, they won two of them obviously, but is there, is there any sort of changing your opinion on how you view this Winnipeg team now? Like you said, I think the dynasty is over. Maybe if they come back and win the next one, it'd be three out of five, and maybe you can consider that a dynasty. When I was growing Would up, you? it was like no, no. When I was growing up, it was three in a row, or okay, maybe see, three gonna, and four. Okay, okay. See, I, cause I saw a lot of three in a row talk, and I was like, well, in that case, there's been one dynasty in the history of professional football. Well, yeah. I guess two. Well, maybe three, because the Cleveland Browns. Okay, let's say there's been one in professional football talking about our lifetimes, and even that's stretching a little bit, and that would be Edmonton with the five in a row because mm. no team of football wins three in a row. They sometimes they win three out of four. Um, the Dallas Cowboys went three out of four. New England Patriots went three out of four. You know, it's hard. It's hard to win a championship. Like we talk about dynasties in the NFL. We talk about the Steelers in the sixties. They won four in six years. Talk about the Niners in, in the eighties and nineties. They won five over 15 years. Those are considered dynasties. And I saw people say three in a row. And I was like, I don't know if three in a row in football is the, is the number like, Maybe in basketball, but even then, like you count the Golden State Warriors as a dynasty. They didn't ever won three. I, it's, it's, I'm just, I was just curious what your standard was for dynasty, because I think there's some people who say three in a row and I'm just like, then there's never really been one, I guess. Yeah. It's a uh, three in a row or three out of four. I'm not sure if the three out of five thing is like outside the boundaries of my dynasty, how I look at it. But at this point, I just think that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have a went on a tremendous run. There's no questioning that. I just I can't put the dynasty label on them mm-hmm. right now. Two out of four, fifty percent. Well, especially having lost the last two, right? Yeah, uh, back like to maybe, back. Maybe, maybe. Well, because here's the thing: like, it, are the Stampeders, Bo Stampeders, a dynasty? Win in 2014, don't make it in 2015. Lose 2016, lose 2017, win 2018. Like four cups in five years, two championships. Like. I don't think they're a dynasty. So I don't like, again, I I think right now the dynasty talk is dead, but I think it could be revived if they win it next year. I don't know. I think it's, this going to be, I think it's interesting going forward. I'm sorry. I just, but what do you, like I said, I I guess I never really got your answer for the question because we can, we got sidetracked there for a bit. Does your opinion change on this or is it just a hell of a run that I mean, could still be extended. We don't know. And we should just kind of enjoy it while it's here because it's probably going to be quite some time before we see a team get to four straight again. Yeah, I, I just think that a hell of a team um, at this point, not quite a dynasty, but that could change if they win the next one. But I do think that 
their time is running out with this yep. core group of guys. So, you know, time is ticking and they need to get it done quickly because Claros isn't getting any younger and, and Willie Jefferson and uh, Jackson Jeffcoat and all those guys. Um, Adam Bigo might be done. We don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, the time's running out. They, they're Obviously, they have the, they've put their mark on CFL history as one of, one of the, a really, really good team. But they're not quite at that, you know, Edmonton-type dynasty yet. For sure. You brought up Zach. All week leading up to the game, people said he was due for a big game in the Grey Cup. But if you look at his numbers, he hasn't been a big game player. His best Grey Cup performance might have been the first one when he was with Hamilton. His his performances, I know he won MVP in 2021, but that went to overtime. But I still think he threw a couple of inter... Yeah, I know he threw... Cam Kelly had two interceptions in that game and would have been Grey Cup MVP if the Ticats had won. Did this outcome and his play, because I don't think he played great uh, against the Alouettes, did it kind of solidify for you that maybe Caleros is kind of like the CFL's Peyton Manning? He has these tremendous regular seasons, piles up MVP awards, or in the CFL's case, MOP awards, but then when it matters the most, kind of comes up a bit small? Like, I mean, the, the Bombers used the run game in 2019 when they won. It was the Andrew Harris show. And they use Brady Oliveira all year. Are you, again, I, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I think he's deserved all the accolades he's gotten. But when it comes to these big games, kind of, I hate to say, use the C word, but kind of chokes, no? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been going through the numbers with Zach Caleros because we're, we're going to do a piece on our, our top five quarterbacks in the future here. And you're absolutely right. In big games, not that great. And even during the regular season, yes, he's won MOPs, but it's not like you look at it, some of his numbers. I think he he's a really good quarterback. Don't get me wrong. And I agree with you. He's a Hall of Famer, all that stuff. If he was on any other team, do you think he would have had the success that he's had? I mean, I, I guess you could say that about any winning quarterback on any championship team. But I think you could put a quarterback back there and they, you know, not any quarterback, obviously. But, you know, I think there might be a little bit of... His surroundings, like he, he always usually has a very strong run game. His defense is top notch every single year. Um, the offensive line in front of him protect him very well. So he doesn't show up in big games. So yeah, very good. But I wouldn't consider him as one of the great quarterbacks in this in CFL history at this point. It's really tough because you want to be fair, but you also want to be honest and. I, I, I honestly wonder if the knee injury in 2015 was the sliding doors moment with him. Cause he was the man that year. Like he was the engine that drove that tie cats team. And then that happens. And he goes on this journey where he's benched in Hamilton and then traded to Saskatchewan and then traded to Toronto and then traded to Winnipeg. And then goes on this amazing run in 2019 at the end of the season to win a gray cup and comes back after COVID and has a great season. The Bombers go 11-3, and three, win another great cup, but almost not in spite of him. But, I mean, they were significantly better than the Tiger Cats that year, and that game was – I mean, it went to overtime, for crying out loud. And the Tiger Cats, if they don't make some mental mistakes on their own, maybe win that game in regulation. So – you got to wonder there. And then you, he throws interceptions in, in, in the games against Toronto. Yes. And he, he threw like he, and he's it had seems stinkers, as if, like really bad yeah. stinkers, you know? Like, I know we talk about like Bo 
coming up short in big games. But if you look at his Grey Cup stats, they're pretty good. Like, yeah, he throws some picks, but, like, they're fairly decent. We talk about, like, you think about guys like Anthony Calvillo, who played great in big games. Darian Durant was a great big game quarterback. Like, mm-hmm. there's some guys well, that was where, a like Calvillo, too, uh, early on in his career that he— It was. You know, because he, they went to a, a lot of great cups and didn't and didn't win them. them all, obviously. But yeah, eventually, you know, he got that label as a good big game quarterback for sure. Yeah, and it's like, it's honestly, I'm not trying to slate Zach, but it's like we're getting a little late in his career for him to be able to turn this around. You know what I mean? Like, he kind of is the quarterback that he is, and he's been great to watch. And we were lucky enough to watch his career and I'm glad that he got back onto the field and has had this run in Winnipeg. But mm. when it comes down to the player we thought he would be based on where he was going, like leaving, like what he showed in Toronto, filling in for Ricky Ray and then coming to Hamilton and looking as good as he did prior to that knee injury, you're thinking, okay, this is, this is the next face of the league. And then, I mean, I guess he got there eventually, but then you look at how he plays in some of these big moments and you're, you're left a little, I mean, the West final in what, 2021, they turned the ball over like six times. Like there's been a lot of, he's been fortunate in how his team has won some of these games and deserves credit for it. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but when I think of, if I was putting together a list of the top 10 CFO quarterbacks that I'd want on my side in the big moments, I don't think he makes that list. You know what I mean? Like I'm, Danny McManus was a great big game quarterback. Look what he did yes. in the West final in 94 and in the two gray cups, three gray cups that he two with Hamilton, the one he lost in Edmonton. Like, I mean, he was the quarterback for the gray cup in BC when they beat the stallions, or yeah. I guess they were the CFLers that year. They weren't the stallions yet, but I mean, big Henry Burris was known for an up and down thing, but in those kind Damon of Allen, Damon Allen, great big game. Three you know gray I mean? cup so MVPs. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you kind of Ricky Ray was I think he lost what one Grey Cup game in his entire career was the first one he played in and then won four in a row with you know two with uh two with Edmonton two with um with Toronto like I just think that when all is said and done we'll we'll look at the numbers but I think we'll also have to remember that in an era especially in the last few years where quarterbacking hasn't been all that great he had a real chance to just kind of put his mark on this 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 generation of quarterbacks and then lost to McLeod Bethel Thompson and Chad Kelly and lost to Cody Fajardo and it's not mm-hmm. those guys no offense to them they're not going to go down in the annal like they're not going to be hall of fame i mean Fajardo i guess maybe continues on this trajectory could and obviously Kelly if he continues to play as well as he did this year could but there's no one on that list that's that's a Hall of Famer, in my opinion. He was outdueled by Jeremiah Mazzoli, in my opinion, in the one they won here in Hamilton. So it's like, when it comes to big games, it's it's not exactly Zach's game. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be one of the knocks on him. Now, there's not many knocks because he's been extremely successful, and he's his story is uh, very encouraging, and, and, and it's a very good story because, you know, you thought he was out of football with like all the concussions, and then he goes on to go to four great cups and win two of them. But if we're talking all-time great quarterbacks in the CFL, I think he still has a ways to go before you you put him in that top five or even top ten. He's got a ways to go, and he doesn't have a, a ways left. Like it's, yeah, exactly. It's 35. The career's – I know it feels like only yesterday that he took the league by storm, but – 
he's 35 now. It's his time is. I know quarterbacks can play a long time, but time's kind of coming in. Okay, one last thing about the game. We've gone way longer talking about the Grey Cup than I anticipated, but we have to talk about the halftime show that Green Day put on. I've seen many say it was the greatest halftime show ever. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far, but there's no denying that it was one of the best the CFL has ever done. It was awesome. As our resident Green Day fan, Mike, you had to love the halftime show. Where did you? Where would you rank this all-time amongst halftime shows? CFL, NFL, all-time, or just CFL? Just Grey we'll Cup, just go Grey Cup because I think. Okay. Okay. So I'll 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 say outright my favorite halftime show ever was the Super Bowl halftime show from a couple years ago with Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kendrick Lamar, right. Eminem. Nothing will top that for me because that's the genre of music I grew up on. So when they announced that, I was like, I'm totally in, and it blew away my expectations. We'll just go CFL halftime shows because there's been some good ones. I thought Imagine Dragons was really good back in 2014. Yep. Shania Twain, I don't necessarily love country music, but that show was fun. The Arkells did a great halftime show. What about this one? This one's for you, just for you. Where do you put it? Uh, this one's number one for me because yeah. there's never been a you know a band or a singer or a group that I've had like you know interest in for the Grey Cup. You know they, they've been some great ones and they put on some great shows. But yeah, Green Day, I knew all the songs and um, I thought they had. I think they played four and I think they had some pretty good choices in there. Although I wanted them to, to uh, cause some havoc and play some offensive music, but <laughs> play some ones about way. jerking off and such. <laughs> yes, yes, all by myself. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I thought they did a great job, and I thought the pyrotechnics and uh, everything they had uh, to add to their musical show was uh, was great. So, uh, th- all thumbs up from me. I didn't re- so I remember when Green Day kind of burst on the scene with Dookie. I was in middle school. You're kind of finding yourself as a person. You're into when I grew up, you weren't allowed to be into different genres of music. So it's like outwardly with all my friends, it was like I was a rap guy, but then like by myself. I listened to Nirvana and I listened to Green Day because it's like, which is so stupid that you have to like, I remember it was like rappers versus metalheads. And it's like, if you like Biggie, you can't like Metallica. And it's like, that's just dumb. Like, like whatever. I'm just, I'm so glad that we're not, we don't do that anymore as adults Mm -hmm. that we just like what we like and we don't give a crap what anyone else has. Yeah. For me, it was like, uh, for me, it was like, oh, you can't like, uh, a punk band that that goes uh, to a major label, Main, right? Like mainstream, mainstream, yeah, yeah. So mainstream. They were like, you like that? that? That's hipsterism before it. hipsterism was a thing. Exactly. But like, they didn't play some of the hits that I was like expecting them to. You know what I mean? Like, Good Riddance it, was they, a big they, one. They didn't. They didn't play American Idiot. Yep. They didn't play When I Come Around. You know what I mean? So it's like, oh, yep. there was still more meat on this bone, but. I love basket case. I, I I popped when they started playing basket case. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I mean, that's probably that's. The, I would you say that's the song to introduce you to Green Day? Because I think that was their first like big hit, right? Yeah. It's it's either that, that or that, when is I that come the music around. Music video where the, that's the one where they're in the like mental ward in the hospital, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the song. Like when I think of Green Day, that's the song I think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that because it's that Dookie album, right? It's like that's the one that everyone. Like, I'm sure they put out music before that, like independently and what have yeah. you. And I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure you know more of their their lesser known stuff than I would as just like a casual fan. But that to me, what that's that's the song that's like when they play that, it's like, oh, mm-hmm. this is it. But I and I knew that they weren't going to be able to like. In my opinion, it's like just play Dookie. <laughs> like if you yeah. play, if you yeah. play five tracks off Dookie, it's like, oh well, you nailed this. I thought it was great. Like it was energetic. They seemed to be having fun. 
The mm-hmm. pyrotechnics were awesome. Like the CFL put on a really damn good halftime show, quite frankly. And I think that this, in my opinion, should dead the idea that the halftime show has to be Canadian. Like, you know what? Get a Canadian to do like the national anthem or get that up and come. Like they had that 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 female artist do like the pregame concert thing. I don't know. Yeah, I thought is. that was good. Like that's not my kind of music, but I thought she was good. Yeah, and it was high energy, and it kind of I think yeah. it kind of got the crowd pumped up. That's great. You use that platform, but halftime, go get the best band you can. Go get the best act you can. I don't care who it is. I don't care if they're from Toronto, Vancouver, or they're from the middle of California. Like it doesn't matter to me. This to me was awesome. I don't think there's any other way to put it. Like again, I won't say it's the best ever because I think like that's subjective and it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. I know that I knew it would be if they, if they just didn't shit themselves, I knew for you, this would be your favorite just because these are your guys. Like you're a green day guy. I get it. I had a great time. It took me back to my childhood, reminded me of like some of their hits, like made me listen to some green day throughout the week afterwards. Like it was, it was fun. I, I can't, can't complain about, and we all love to complain. And this is the thing too. Everyone loves to complain about the halftime show. I didn't see any negative comments. Did no. you? I just saw people. No. Like, this was fun. Yeah, even like my dad messaged me and was like, oh, it was a great halftime show. And like, he, he's not a fan of Green Day, no. but uh, he could tell that, you know, it was a good show. And, and they, they took it seriously and they they played their instruments well. And, you know, that's always a question for, for a punk band if they're going to perform well live. Um, obviously, they've they've moved on from that punk rock kind of thing and they're just a rock band now. But yeah, I nothing but good things to say for me. Yeah, it's it's a... Uh... It's going to be interesting to see who they get for BC next year because BC has been able with Omar Dome and they've been able to pull in Mm -hmm. some pretty good acts for just Lions games. It'll be this is a this is a this is a tough one to top. It'll be. But if this is what if this is the standard that has now been set for Grey Cup halftime shows, I think I might actually look for because last year's was I don't even remember. It was like one half of some country band and then two dudes I'd never heard of before, like. This one really set the standard for what I think a Grey Cup halftime show should be going forward. And hopefully in the in the preceding, the you know, the upcoming years, we just get the same type. Like, I, again, if you get a Shania Twain type act, like that's a big act and she put on a great show. You know what I mean? Like, that, and that's like, you're, like you said, your dad was like, not a Green Day guy, but it's like, that was a good halftime show. My dad's in the 70s and was like, that was, he, and he said the same thing about the the Eminem, Dr. Dre half. He's like, mm-hmm. Yeah, because he, you know, I heard all those songs when you guys were kids, me and my brother. It's like I knew them all. And it's like that was pretty like get the crowd into it. I think maybe like we always say like they should hit a younger audience, but maybe that younger audience is you and I. You know what I mean? Like we're not not young, but maybe we're the audience that they should like get that 30 to 40 year old audience with the band at halftime. And I think maybe a little bit better than trying to cater to like the 25 and under crowd, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I just, uh, I'm so old now that I don't even know how music works anymore. <laughs> like it's just <laughs> TikTok songs or, or what's going on. Obviously yeah. I'm out of the loop, but at, to add to your point, yeah, I think it's time for our generation to start getting, you know, the halftime shows from our, you know, the bands that we listened to growing up or the rappers that we listened to growing up. So we're getting to that age and uh, 20 years from now, it'll be, you know, the, the other generation uh, that's ahead of us coming up. So uh, it's a pretty exciting time, I'd say. Yeah, just put on a good show. I don't like if you're a popular enough band and you put on a good show, people are gonna like it. Like everyone didn't want Justin Bieber, and I thought he did actually a really good job when when mm-hmm. he did the halftime in Toronto. So, 
you can get people excited and, and amped up for halftime show whether they like your music or not. And I, but with Green Day, it was really good. All right, way too much time on this than I thought. We did we did like 15 minutes on Green Day. I thought we'd do like five. But anyway, let's move on to some news and rumors, and we're gonna just gonna strictly talk about the Thai Cats here. A lot has kind of popped up since we last recorded. The latest news is that offensive coordinator Scott Malinovic will not be taking the head coaching job in Saskatchewan. He also reportedly has a contract signed for next season to be the Ticats offensive coordinator. Signed. Yeah, Is apparently he's, signed? he's oh. apparently he was whatever deal he signed going into like to take over last year was a multi-year deal. I didn't know that oh, until okay, recently. Okay. So yeah. So apparently he's he has a contract. Now again, I won't say that he's won't say he's definitely coming back, but apparently he has a contract to be on the Ticats coach, maybe not offense coordinator, but to be on the Ticats coaching staff for 2024. So there's more than a distinct possibility that he will be back with the team. And if he's back, he's probably going to be the OC. I don't see why he wouldn't be. How do you feel about Milanovic possibly coming back? Are you excited by this? Or was there a part of you that was kind of looking forward to maybe the team going out and hiring someone new? No, I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, Milanovic came in uh, during the regular season last year, midway through or whenever it was, and the offense improved tremendously, not right away, but you could see it getting better week after week after week. And he has a history of working with younger quarterbacks, developing quarterbacks. So I think that's a great thing, depending on who we have uh, behind center next year. If it's a young guy, then I think Scott Milanovic is a, is a, is a great hire. It is a great OC. He's great for working with quarterbacks. So I'm pretty stoked on it. I think that he, his offense last year was very well balanced. You know, the, the, he used the run game. Uh, he used the pass game. It was basically a 50-50 split, and I really like that. So I'm happy to have him back if he comes back. Yeah, I'm excited to see what the offense could look like with him there for like a full off season, installing it in training camp, getting the players that fit his system. James Butler was obviously a great pickup for this team and then took his game to another level with Milanovic. This would be an interesting wrinkle in figuring out what the quarterback situation could be going forward. I think who the team has as offensive coordinator will kind of dictate where they might go at quarterback. Cause as we know, there's some question marks there. I know Bo and, and Taylor Powell are signed for next year, but Powell will be back for certain, not so certain about Bo, but I got to be honest, there was a name out there that intrigued me if Milanovic did leave. And I mean, there's still the possibility he gets a coaching job somewhere else. So it's not set in stone that he'll be back. But June Jones publicly expressed interest in returning to the CFL. He told Dave Naylor that he would love to return and that he had discussions with the Ticats about taking the offensive coordinator job when they fired Tommy Condell in the summer. He spent the last few, since he stepped down as head coach in, after the 2018 season, he's been the head coach and general manager of the Houston Roughnecks in the 2020 version of the XFL. And then he was the offensive coordinator for the Seattle Sea Dragons in the 2023 version of the XFL. This interested me when this came out. I think it was early on, maybe just before or early on during Grey Cup week. I was thinking that Milanovic was likely gone. Now it seems he's likely back. Would you have welcomed Jones back? And maybe more a more interesting question is, who would you have preferred to run the offense, Milanovic or Jones? 
I would have welcomed Jones back because, you know, when he was calling the offense, you know, a couple of years ago now, more than that, um, it, it ran at a pretty good clip. You know, he was the reason why Speedy B became a receiver and a, an MVP uh, in this league. He had some great ideas. The run and shoot worked really well up here. Uh, I thought it was different from the other offenses that were being run at the time, and it would probably still be different if he came into the fold. So I would have been happy with him, but I think that the, the safer bet is to um, go with Scott. You know, he's been here last year. He knows a lot of the players. Um, his offense worked very effectively. Uh, and if, especially if we're going with Taylor Powell, I think the smart move would be uh, to go with Milanovic because we've seen him develop quarterbacks over the years. You know, Trevor Harris, Zach Claros. Um, other guys, I, I'm assuming. So it worked well with Ricky Ray after he got traded from Edmonton. So I think if um, if we're going with the younger quarterback, then I'd prefer Scott Milanovic. Even if not, I think I'd prefer Scott to uh, June Jones. I think Jones is a hell of an OC, don't get me wrong, and he has a hell of a, a mind for football. But I don't know. I, I just think it's a safer bet to go with Milanovic. I mean, it's probably, I mean, both guys are probably only going to be here for a year, quite frankly. Like if Milanovic does come back and is the offensive coordinator, you got to think it's a, it's a short-term thing where then he'll get an opportunity to be a head coach in the CFL when the next, because there's never going to be an off season where everyone keeps their jobs. There's always going to be someone that gets fired. Maybe that would be Hamilton next year. But I mean, if, if Milanovic, if, if the Ticats are firing their head coach, likely means the offense didn't live up to expectations. And if that's the case, why would you make the offensive coordinator, the head coach, you know, with Jones, same thing, you know, it's, he's a football nomad. Go look at his coaching resume. It's he bounces around all over the place. I mean, he was set to be the offensive coordinator in Hamilton in 2019. He stepped down to become, to give Orlando the head job. And then he was going to be OC and assistant head coach. And then he left to become the head coach of GM in the XFL and that's when he gave Tommy Condell the offense. And that happened, if you recall, just before training camp was about to open, like maybe a week ahead. And a lot of the 2019 Ticats offense was kind of Jones specific, which makes you wonder how good that offense would have even been going forward if Jones had stuck around. Like Condell mm -hmm. calling a Jones offense versus Jones, like might've been even more prolific than, than it actually was like, as an OC, I think Jones is unimpeachable. Like, I think his offense, I looked at the numbers, they were the second highest scoring team in the league in 2018 when he was the, for his, the, his lone full season as head coach and play caller. The only team that scored more points than them was the Calgary Stampeders, and they went on to win the Grey Cup. As a head coach, he had his flaws. Like, there's the whole Art Brile situation, which we're not going to bring, yeah. bring up. And then he brings Jerry Glanville in to be the defensive coordinator, and that did not work remotely close to anything. I mean, I remember we were excited, but I think that that was nostalgia kicking in versus mm -hmm. actually being excited about Jerry Glanville at 80 years old, being a defensive coordinator, because after teams figured out his defense, like if you want hate yourself and want to go back and watch the 2018 East final, he looks completely clueless out there when the red blacks are just carving up his defense. They had no answers on that day. But Jones as an OC is tremendous. His offenses still work to this day. I think there is something a little different. I would have, my opinion, I'd rather have Jones because of the unknown. Like 
Milanovic's offenses can be a little boring, I guess might be the word. They're a little predictable. Whereas with Jones, it's boring's never a word you with June Jones, no. both on and off the field. So again, I I think a full off season of Milanovic here installing his system with the players that he wants, I think will be will be great. We saw Tim White take a leap. You mentioned Taylor Powell. I already mentioned James Butler. Like we saw some guys really play well under him. So I'm not upset that it's going to be Milanovic, but I will admit that when I thought Milanovic was leaving and Jones might come in, I'd be lying if I said I didn't get a little bit more excited at the prospect of seeing what he could do with a guy like Tim White, what he could do with a guy like James Butler, what he could maybe do with Bo Levi Mitchell. Because if you recall, most people probably don't know this, but June Jones was the head coach at Southern Methodist when Bo was there as a collegiate player before he moved on to Eastern Washington. So he has some familiarity with Bo. I actually think there's a quote out there from Jones. I'm not sure when it's from that said he would love to work with Bo Levi Mitchell in the CFL. So, you know, I remember when Bo signed and and he said, like, we want to make the CFL fun again. June Jones would make the CFL fun again. We saw it in 2018. We saw a lot of it in 2017 when he took over as head coach. I'm happy if Milanovic is the guy because I think his offense can work. I just think I would have been a little bit more excited with June Jones. Well, now why not both? I mean, we have 700 assistant GMs. Why not two offensive coordinators? <laughs> Can they afford them? That's the only problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's not. the thing. Yeah, that's just it. We have we have three assistant general managers and we have co-offensive coordinators. <laughs> I mean, that is the Ticats way, you know, uh-huh. committee approach to everything. That would suck. That would suck. <laughs> I'm just I'm just going to be blunt. That would be terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be a mess. No, no, no doubt about it. Yeah, they run so. Com- I, I I know you're saying NGS. Don't worry. Uh, okay, another rumor that kind of sprung up during Grey Cup week was that former Argos quarterback McLeod Bethel Thompson has indicated his desire to return to the CFL after playing in the USFL last year, and one of the most talked about landing spots was, of course, Hamilton. When he left the CFL, you might recall, Bethel Thompson said his desire was to stay in Toronto and play only in Toronto if he was returning. But that seems to be a door that has shut after Chad Kelly won MOP and was given a massive contract extension earlier this year that made him the league's highest paid player. So Toronto is not a landing spot for McLeod Bethel Thompson in the least. Both the Red Blacks and Elks kind of make sense for him if he goes, but so does Hamilton to an extent. We don't know what the quarterback situation is here. Maybe they decide to move on. It was said that McLeod's representatives were in Hamilton during Grey Cup week to gauge potential interest in his return. Mike, you did send me a panic text that he was signing with the Ticats or that he was in Hamilton, but I can assure you that it was not just meeting with the Ticats. It was to kind of gauge because there was a lot of front offices here and people here from across the league. So it's definitely more interest generally in his return, not just in Hamilton. So everyone who's anti-McLeod can, can calm down. And I guess I kind of gave away the question here and, and kind of your answer, because there is a lot to unpack with this one, but let's start with an, a, a question that I guess you, I just gave away the answer to. Do you want to see McLeod Bethel Thompson in a Tiger Cats uniform in 2024? No, it's just another aging quarterback that we're going to bring in to be the savior. And I just don't think he has the skills to lead us to the promised land. Yeah. He was a fine quarterback in the CFL. He, you know, put up some good number numbers. he, Led the league in passing in 2022, I believe. No, yeah, 2022. Yep. Um, yep. I mean, he was a fine player, but I just, 
he doesn't excite me. You know what I mean? Like I, I would not get excited if we brought in McLeod Bethel Thompson and I'd be happy if he proved me wrong, but I just don't see him being the savior once again to this franchise. But him with Milanovic, that doesn't even give you a tinge of, Oh, I'd like to see that. May, maybe a little bit. Like, listen, if if they brought him in, then I guess I'll have to be excited about it. Just like I was, I had to be excited about uh, Bowley oh. by Mitchell last year. But yeah, at this point in time, I'm like, I just think that maybe if we're gonna bring McLeod Bethel Thompson in, then just bring back Bo or or go with the yeah. other pal, go with the young guy. Like, I just don't see how this benefits us. Yeah. So barring. My idea here is barring any sort of major moves that this would probably be our last episode of the year. But I think our first episode of 2024, we're going to start with talking about what the Ticats might do at each position heading into free agency and such. So obviously we'll talk quarterbacks probably on the very first episode because that's the question everyone will have on their minds. But who knows? By then there might be an answer here, just like there was last year at this time. We knew that Bo had been traded to Hamilton. And when you trade for a guy's rights, you likely sign him. So we knew that Dane was out, but you, you never know. It doesn't move the needle for me either, honestly. The only thing that he would bring to the table that Bo can't is health. He doesn't really get hurt. But again, he's 34, 35, McLeod Bethel-Thompson is. Like, he's older than Bo. Maybe, like, he's been healthy, but you never know how long that lasts. The older a guy gets, the more susceptible he is to injuries. I wouldn't hate the move, but I don't think I'd be planning the Grey Cup parade if he got here. I don't think the Argos won the championship last year with him as their starter because of him. I think they won it for numerous. I mean, he wasn't even in the game. They were down. He gets hurt, and Chad Kelly comes in and orchestrates the comeback. So the defense won that game. The special teams won that game. I think if you look at the list of reasons why the Argos won the Grey Cup in 2022, McLeod Bethel-Thompson is probably not even in the top 10. Like he's He's a good quarterback. He can put up some good numbers. He, he proved with the Argos in 2021 and 2022 that he can play winning football. But I guess the only the only upgrade he is, in my opinion, to Bo is health. And I mean, that's a pretty big upgrade. But like you, if they're going to, if they're just going to bring in another aging quarterback, why not stick with the guy you already have? Because it's not like you're going to bring McLeod Bethel Thompson in and he's going to ask for significantly less money than Mitchell's going to make next year. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're not bringing him in at 250000 or 350000 Like he's going to command... 450 and above so you're you're not getting a ton of savings it's it it doesn't i don't know it like i said it just doesn't really move the needle for me i don't know what the answer is at quarterback but what do you think they should do at QB? like these rumors are out here bo was obviously unhappy post east semi I don't know what they will do. I don't even want you to say what they will do. What do you think they should do? Like, well, let's work with Milanovic is coming back as the OC. Where do you think this quarterback situation should go? Listen, I don't want Bo to be back if his head's not in it. Like, I think he's halfway out of his playing career. I think yep. he, you know, he was on the the panel at the Great Cup for TSN. You know, and that's he's where very he's, good at that. Yeah, he is. He is. There's no doubting. It. And, the, you know, that's. That's where he's going when he retires, and I think it might be sooner than later. So I'm going to say try to build, you know, try to get Taylor Powell to the next level. We saw him play really well at times last year. He's still young, obviously. He's going to make mistakes. He's not going to be perfect. But I think that if you have a guy like Scott Milanovic in the fold, 
going with the younger guy isn't necessarily a bad move. I wouldn't be upset if Bo came back because I think that Bo would be highly motivated, but I just don't know if he has it anymore. Like what we see, yeah. what we saw from him last year wasn't very good. Like he had a couple of okay he games. He should have been highly season. motivated in 2023 exactly. and that didn't yeah. seem to make for and Obviously the injuries, obviously the injuries played a big part. But you in have that, to but... bake that in now, I think. I think you just yeah. have to accept that he's not going to play a full 18 games. Yeah, exactly. So I'm leaning towards rolling with the younger quarterback and just, you know, if we have to go through some years of, of down, you know, some, some bad years, some years where we don't make the playoffs, I'm going to hate it when we're watching it and I'm going to bitch and moan on this podcast, but you know, maybe we go through some short-term pain for some long-term gain, finally get that championship. Cause like, I don't know if Bo's good enough to, to like, if, if, if Bo's here, we want to be going for a championship. There's no if, ands or buts, but mm-hmm. if we have a younger guy, then I could see some leeway um, in the next couple of years to not have that high level of success of getting to the gray cup, because I'd rather be shitty than mediocre. I, I don't like being mediocre and getting kicked out in the first round every year. Oh, see, that doesn't bother me. I'd rather be in the hunt than bad. But again, how many years of being in the hunt and losing in the first round will that just wear off and be like, man, just just bottom out and figure this mm-hmm. thing out? I don't know. It, this is a tough one because like, it if this team had won a championship in those one of those two Grey Cups, I think that we have a lot more... I mean, I think Dane Evans is still the quarterback here if they won a great cup in one of those two. But I think there's a lot more leeway of, okay, you can kind of bottom out, maybe ride with the young guy, deal with the growing pains because in a year or two. But fans of this team are just so sick of wait until next year. And I know a lot of people, if you go online, you'll see a lot of people saying like, go with Powell, go with Powell. But they're going to be the first people when this team's one and seven next year because they're starting a second year quarterback that are going to be complaining the most about, oh, this team is terrible. And why? Why did they go with this? They had to prove it. You know what I mean? But again, fans are fickle and fans are idiots and maybe you just don't listen to them. The one upside to going with the young guy, and we saw it in Toronto this year and we saw it in B.C. last year. Go with a young guy on the entry-level contract. You can build a roster around him to kind of cover for his flaws. Now, do I? is that me saying that Taylor Powell can be as good as Nathan Rourke or Chad Kelly? No, because I think if Nathan Rourke doesn't get hurt in 2022, he's the league's most outstanding player, and Chad Kelly was the league's most outstanding player this year. Whether you think that that's deserved or not, he won it. I don't think Taylor Powell with an improved roster around him would be an MOP candidate next year. But again, I would have said and did say that Chad Kelly wouldn't be an MOP candidate this year. So what do I know? But there is some solid logic in going with the rookie quarterback or the quarterback on the rookie deal. We see it in the NFL too. And then you build up the look at the San Francisco 49ers. And I use them as an example, not just because I'm a fan of the team, but because this is a perfect example that they have the last pick in the draft who makes the least amount of money possible and they have superstars all across the field, offense and defense. They are absolutely loaded and they are getting a plus quarterback play from a guy making less than a million dollars. You can get that in the CFL and you can throw two all-star receivers out there and an all-star offensive line and go snake. Now the thing is, 
do you trust the Ticats front office to bring the right players in? Because it's one thing to have all the money in the world to sign guys. You got to sign the right guys. We thought they had a great plan this year. Sign on the lines, bring guys in. But then guys get hurt, guys underperform, and they ended up exactly where they were a year ago. But you get both contracts off the off the books. You got Taylor Powell making $400,000 less. You can sign some pretty good players for $400,000 in the CFL. So I see the logic in going with that. I just don't know if this team finally kind of bottoming out. And here's the thing in the East division with as bad as Ottawa has been, they could bottom out and still make the playoffs. Like the Ticats could, the Ticats would have made the playoffs this year at six and 12. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so, and and if they went six and 12, we would have been ripping them eight and 10 is not much better, but six and 12, like look, look at how people treat the Stampeders. Like they're a joke that they made the playoffs. If if the same thing happens next year where the riders aren't any good or there's just other teams that aren't any good, well, then even if they bottom out, they still make the playoffs, then you're kind of still stuck in that middle path. You know what I mean? So I just don't know if – like this is the thing. I'm not paid to make these decisions. I'm not paid to know the answers to these. But I'm just not sure what the direction this this team should go into. You know what I mean? So – they have a chance. I mean, I guess we can get into the last thing we're going to talk about today, which is free agency, because they do have a chance to remake this roster if they want to. The official list of pending free agents was was brought out this week. The Ticats have 37 players listed, which is tied for the most with Calgary. There's some big names on there, some familiar names on there. Ted Laurent, Dylan Wentz, Simone Lawrence, guys like that. Season just ended. We know a lot of these guys will probably be re-signed. We just saw a couple of them. Kendrick Sartor, an offensive lineman. Gordon White, a long snapper, were signed today, just before we recorded. A lot of guys on there. A lot of chance for the Ticats to remake their roster. Are there, you know, five-ish guys that are pending that you would bring back? And would is your decision on who to bring back, does it change based on your expectations for the team going into next season? Okay, so I got, I got, I do have five, and I think that you know, we, I put that uh, question out there to our Twitter followers here, and there was, you know, we got a lot of answers back, and a lot of it was, um, the you know, the guys. same, same guys, and and that's fair because those guys are really important. I have a little bit of a different list because I'm such a offensive line freak. I got Murray, Jordan Murray. I got Riley. I think the the two tackle positions are just so important to be able to lock up guys that are fairly young and can do the job. I think you let go of Figueroa and you, you sign these two younger guys, the left tackle and right tackle. And then uh, you got to bring back Revenberg, obviously another guy along the offensive line. I, I don't necessarily, I love, I like Wood Manzi, but I, I think you could plug a guy in there on Dayton the inside Black. of Dayton Black. They took in the first round last year. And mm-hmm. I said this about Jesse Gibbon. And I said this about Coulter Wood Manzi. You gotta let the you draft these guys in the first round, these offensive linemen in the first round. You gotta let them play at some point. You gotta let them take their. If we're gonna have a rookie quarter, if we're talking rookie quarterback taking his lumps, and if you're starting a rookie quarterback, you're probably saying this year is probably not going to be our year. Let the second year guy you drafted in the first round take his lumps too. Yeah, precisely. So I think uh, Woodmansey's a fine player, but along the in, it's it's easier to find interior offensive linemen, um, yeah. especially Canadians, than it you is find to them find... in the draft. Yes, and the left tackles or right tackles are hard to come by. So I got those three guys along the offensive line. 
Uh, Tim White is um, our best receiver. I think you have to bring him back. And then I have Cass and Tonis as my final pick. Now, obviously, there's a lot of guys on that list that I'd love to have back. But just, you know, for me, those are the five that you have to sign, like, right away. Yeah, I think the biggest things for me is the Lions and your Canadians. Now, I went a little bit away with that from my list. So I got Revenberg as a guy they they have to bring back. I think that he is one of the best offensive linemen, Canadian or American in the league. I think losing him would be a travesty. That's the guy that should probably never play for anyone else other than the Hamilton Tiger Cats. I, I got Dylan Wynn. I, I, he's still not 30 years old. He can still be a force when he's yeah, out there. Yeah. I'm hoping pick, yeah. I'm hoping the injuries are behind him because when he was healthy, he was an absolute monster on the field. And I know for certain that he wants to be a Hamilton Tiger Cat. I think he epitomizes what a Hamilton Tiger Cat is. I really want to see him come back. Stavros Katsantonis, you got I love Tunde Delicate. Love what he did with this team. I don't know if there's a path to bring both guys back. But if you got to choose between them, you got to take the guy who's younger. You just do, in my opinion. It's going to cost you a lot. He's going to be the highest paid defensive back in the CFL next season. But I think that that's worth bringing in. And then this is where I went away from it because Jamal Davis is there. Ted Laurent. Like, I didn't count Ted Laurent or Simone Lawrence because I think if they're going to play next year, they're going to play for the Ticats because I don't think they're going to cost all that much. You know what I mean? Like, if those guys want to play in 2024, I think that they just ha- kind of have a roster spot waiting for them. Um, but Jamal Davis, I think, is a guy that they could bring back, but I didn't. I don't have him there. Richard Leonard was the best defensive player on this team last year, and this team's going to go into next year probably with three, two at least, maybe three defensive backs who have very little experience. I think as good as they played, Kenneth George Jr., I think, is going to come back as the team's Starting corner, I think you could see a guy like Will Sunderland or Dexter Lawson also in the mix for a starting spot. You still need a veteran. And I know that JV and Elliott will come back. And in my scenario here, Katzentonis comes back. But Katzentonis is still a young player. This would be his first, this year was his first year really starting. And then next year would be the first one where he would probably come in as the entrenched starter. You still need a veteran back there. And I think Richard Leonard was excellent this year. I think he was robbed of an all star nomination. I think he could be kind of the the Delvin bro veteran back there that can bring all the rookies together. And then I got Tim white and I've been as hard on Tim white. His, his, he starts the season so slow and I'm sure he'll do it again next year, but the numbers that he put up with Scott Milanovic calling plays, it was unbelievable what he did. It was even more so than he did a year before the year before when he started slow and then picked up his pace. Like he ended up leading the league in receiving this team can find receivers. I understand that. But sometimes you just have to keep a guy that's that good. And I think Tim White in a Milanovic offense or in the dream scenario that I would have where where uh, June Jones is calling to plays and Milanovic is coaching elsewhere, I think Tim White could fill that sp- speedy B role and go for 15, 1,600 yards. So those are the five that I'd bring back. Revenberg, Katzentonis, Dylan Wynn, Richard Leonard, and Tim White. And like you, there's a ton of other guys that I'd like to see back. I'd love to see Jameer Thurman back. I'd love a world where you could have Katzentonis and Tunde Adelike. I just don't know what world that is. 
Simone and, and, and Laurent. I want to see them. As, I thought Ted Laurent, I know people make jokes, but I thought Ted Laurent was very good this year. Simone, I think I just would feel wrong to see him in another uniform. There's a ton of guys on this list. Like I said, we know some guys are going to be, are going to be re-signed. Like I said, we saw two already today. There's going to be guys that are going to be re-signed before free agency opens. Hopefully it's a number of these guys that we already mentioned, but uh, yeah, does, does anything change your idea? Like, do you think that we'll know based on who this team resigns kind of what their plan is for next year? Cause I think if they go young and they, they kind of let some of these older veteran guys go, I think it might signal that next year could be a bit of a rebuilding year. Yeah. And do you, th- the question is, does, you know, Steinhauer and uh, everyone in the coaching staff and, and the GMs and all that, are they still clinging on to be like, you know, our window is not close yet. Like we still are, we bring in, a quarterback or, or a piece or two here, we still have a chance at winning a championship or like, are they I mean, the giving thing, in? The thing, in the, the thing in the CFL though is, is like every year your window's open in my opinion. I, I don't think yeah. that there's like, maybe with this core group of 32 plus year, you know, like maybe that those guys being your superstars, like Simone being your a plus defender, like maybe that era is done, mm-hmm. but I mean, he can still be a contributing member of the team. He could still start, quite frankly, if he if if you needed him to. I I, th- I think there's other guys that might be a little more inclined to, like if they let Simone go and it's Flowers Lloyd starting at that spot, or I mean he would. Kyle Wilson comes back from injury and starts. Like I, that wouldn't be a. I don't think that'd be a terrible thing in my opinion because at some point you kind of have to move on from these older guys. But I mean, look at what Montreal did this year. Look at what Toronto did last year. Quite frankly. I don't think your window ever truly closes like, because you never know when you might have the right mix of guys to go from middling or even outside of the playoff picture to a champion. We, we see it okay. happen all the time in this league. Okay. So how many people had Montreal finishing dead last in the CFL and they win the titles? Like you just, you, you never really know. So I just, I don't think, I don't think no coaching staff, no front office goes into any year thinking this is not going to be our year, at least outwardly. Maybe inwardly they realize, okay, you know, it, it, it's an uphill climb for us to win a championship. But I think that this team went so veteran heavy the last three years because the the hope was we got two Grey Cups in three year span in Hamilton. We got to win one of them. They didn't. So that that pressure is kind of off. Maybe it's a little different now. Yeah, there's so many questions going into the offseason, uh, especially at that quarterback position. Uh, do they have enough confidence in going with a young guy or do they bring back Bo? And, you know, I know we already talked about it, but, you know, I think that'll be a big indicator. Like yep. once we find out what Bo Levi Mitchell, what the plan is with Bo Levi Mitchell, I think that'll be a big indicator to uh, what the Cats are going to look like next season. I completely agree. I think what they do at quarterback will be the signal of what we can expect in 2024. And if they go with Bo, if they let Bo go, but sign Bethel Thompson, if they go and get a Drew Brown or they trade for Trevor Harris, like whatever they decide to do at quarterback. And there's a, there's not a ton of great options, but there's options. Maybe none of them that will, you know, none of them that'll be like, Oh, this is the one. But that I think that will be that will signify. To, I mean, remember what they did? They were a Grey Cup finalist with Henry Burris. They let him go. They signed Zach Calaris, and I think a lot of people thought 
okay, this is the team taking a step back, and they weren't as good in 2020, 2014 as they were in 2013, but they won the East Division, they hosted the East Final, they got back to the Grey Cup, and they came a... It was the, it was the last Ticats game that has ever been played where you and I did not do a podcast. That's how that's how long we've been doing this. Right. But they they were an air, they were a questionable flag away from winning a Grey Cup in a year that everyone I think thought, uh, you know, kind of because 2013 was a shock. No one thought they were the year in Guelph, new coach. They were coming off a six and twelve playoff list season. They had the first pick in the draft. Like no one thought that they were going to be a ten win Grey Cup team, and there they were. So then it's like okay, they're a little bit ahead of schedule. Maybe they take a step back going with a younger guy and they go to a gray cup and then everything was roses until it wasn't in 2015. But you, you just, that, that, that's the whole point. Like you just never know what move ends up being. Everyone's really high on drew Brown as a potential franchise guy. I don't know. I, I, like, I, people like to call me a hypocrite because I, I jumped on Chad Kelly and he ended up turning out great. I'm never, I don't like anointing guys too quickly. I, if you go back and read or listen to anything I said, you can go find, probably find my tweets from 2014. I said it should have been a quarterback competition between Zach Calaris and Dan Lefevre in Hamilton, because it's like, I'm not ready to hand the keys to a guy that's played a half a dozen games, nine games, whatever it was. You know what I mean? So I'm always skeptical about going with the young guy, but that doesn't mean it's the it's the wrong move and it works out and it worked out recently in the CFL, so maybe it works out here, but I just I just think that whatever they choose to do at quarterback is what will be the domino that dictates what they do with the rest of the roster cuz if it's Bo, I think a lot of these veteran guys get signed back because they're trying to run it back and and hoping for health and being better this year maybe with better coaching or what have you. If it's someone else, that's if it's a Drew Brown, if it's a Taylor Powell, maybe we see some of these older guys let go and some of the younger guys retained, and then they try to find some youth through maybe they're not as active in free agency and they go with scouts. You know, I it's it's definitely a big offseason in Hamilton. We'll there'll definitely be a lot for us to talk about in the new year for sure. Yeah, and no matter who they have back there, you know, if they have Bowley by Mitchell back there, they're going to have to have a strong offensive line. If they have a young quarterback like Taylor Powell, they're going to have to have a strong offensive line. So either way, I will be happy, I think, with the uh, the Hoggies up front. Yeah, I'm a little surprised you said cut Figueroa, but I honestly, I don't disagree with you on that one. Like, he's a good player, mm-hmm. but puts on that Ticats uniform, just can't stay healthy. Yeah, yeah, and it's nothing against, like, he played well when he was in there for the most part. You know, he had his rough spots, but I just, yeah. I don't know if you have a guy like Riley or Murray who are younger and don't have that history of of being injured, then I would go with them. And they obviously will be uh, cheaper than Figueroa as well. All right. So the plan is that this is our last one of the year, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it will be. I am taking a two week vacation at Christmas time. So I that that two weeks, we will definitely not be doing a show. But between now and the 15th of December, there's the possibility that we could be back here if something major happens, but I'm using this today as kind of a a last episode of the season. We actually have some pretty big news coming in the new year that we're, we'll tease now, and hopefully you guys all come back in the new year to hear what the big news is. It's pretty monumental. Mike knows what it is. I, I, I don't think I'm underselling that uh, we have some big news coming, right? Yeah, absolutely. But... I don't know. I don't think we're going to come back, but hey, it's a CFL, man. For all we yeah. know, we're going to we're going to stop recording today. We're going to go on social media. We're going to see 
that they've traded Bo to Saskatchewan and they're signing McLeod Bethel Thompson. And we'll be right back here to talk about it. So we'll, we'll, we'll say this is tentatively the final episode of the season. So thanks everyone for all year for listening. Thanks for whomever of you out there that joined us on Patreon. We're going to continue to put out content there. Don't worry. we got some fun stuff planned for the off season, despite uh, how poorly the Ticat season went there. We're still having fun over there. Uh, Mike, thanks again for another great year of doing this. The live shows were great. The pregame shows that we had a fun time doing the postgame shows we had a fun time doing, despite the fact that the Thai cats underwhelmed and underperformed and, you know, didn't live up to expectations. I thought this was one of the better years that we've had on the podcast. Don't you? Yeah, absolutely. We did. Like you mentioned, we did a lot of the, the live postgame shows and we did some pregame shows this year. And, um, I think overall, this has been the best year of Podsky Weeby. Yeah, we did a lot of extra content this year that uh, now that it's the off season, it's like, oh, it's nice to take a little bit of a break. Yes. But you know what's going to happen? We're going to get into the doldrums of winter and I'm going to be like, oh, is it May yet? Because like, I can't wait for training camp and us to be talking about real football again instead of all this pontificating that we're going to do, which is fun. Don't get me wrong. I love talking about the what ifs and the possibilities, but there's something about football season being here. But for another year, the season is over for another year of the show. It's over. So. For this week, for this season, for this year, it's been Podsky Wee Wee. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw. <laughs>